You are Locked On Raptors, your daily Toronto Raptors podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, and welcome to episode 47 of Locked On Raptors for Friday, December 16th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com and TSN Radio in Toronto. You can find me on Twitter at WoodleySean, and the show is on Twitter as well, at Locked On Raptors, where you can find links to every single show. Locked On Raptors is part of the Locked On Podcast Network, as you probably know by now. You can find team-specific shows for all 30 NBA teams, as well as Locked On Fantasy Basketball with Josh Lloyd, and the big one, Locked On NBA with David Locke, all in one place. That's the Locked On NBA iTunes channel. Uh, If you are interested in learning about a team or the NBA as a whole, you can't find a better place to go to, a better resource than the Locked On Podcast Network. Uh, and the NFL stuff is, as well is great. Uh, go to the Locked On NFL channel. Find a show that you want to hear uh, on there. You know, fantasy, uh, fantasy playoffs are going on right now. That that's always interesting. There's the uh, you know the team shows for all the teams that are involved and, and close to the playoffs. Lots of stuff on the Locked On Network, so make sure you check it out. And you can check us out as well. Locked On Raptors is on iTunes on its own separate page, and it's on Stitcher as well. If you want to help the show and support the show, the easiest possible way to do that is to leave a rating or a review on the iTunes page. Helps to boost us up the rankings, helps people discover the show, and we'd really appreciate it. Um, I, again, I'm sorry for missing Thursday. Uh, just It was you know, a very busy day. I, I didn't get home till pretty late, and... Uh, felt like crap when I returned home. I was, I've been dealing with a cold all week, and uh, just I needed a day to not talk uh, multiple times about the Raptors. I just kind of needed to chill. Uh, but I did. I managed to find some time to record a Raptors and Hawks preview with Brad Roland of Lockdown Hawks. Uh, did this one late at night, and uh, we'll roll this as the Friday episode to tee up the Raptors and Hawks game tonight. The Hawks coming back to Toronto just 13 days after they got obliterated by the Raptors. Um, and it's, uh, I mean, Paul Millsap's back now for the Hawks, so it should be a closer game, and we talked about the the return of Millsap and also the potential of our Millsap trade. We talked about a whole bunch of stuff in this one. Uh, it was a good chat with Brad, who uh, doesn't seem super optimistic about coming in to play the Raptors right uh, at this current time, and, I mean, I can't really blame him. The Raptors are playing incredibly well right now. Um, but, yeah, we will uh, roll that interview myself with uh, Brad Roland, and we will get back on the other side to make my pick against the spread for tonight's game and uh, wrap things up. All right, Sean Woodley with Locked On Raptors here with Brad Roland of Locked On Hawks. How you doing, Brad? I'm good, man. Always ready to talk some hoops, and we got a game to uh, talk about on Friday night. Yeah, it's uh, a quick turnaround for the Hawks after what happened uh, 13 days ago, I guess, <laughs> on the day of the game. Uh, the uh, the decimation, yes. Yeah. Uh, it does feel like 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 that like that was just a couple days ago, but it has, I guess it almost has been two weeks, and uh, maybe Hawks fans have recovered uh, at least a little bit, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I mean uh, that was uh, it was fun on this end, that's for sure. Uh, you know, even if it, like even garbage time was fun. You know, Jakob Pertle threw down that dunk to end it. It was just kind of like kind of insulting and rude. I thought, um, like kind of unnecessary <laughs> for him to do that, but. Uh, no, it was a uh, it was a really fun game, and I guess my first question to you is, do you expect the Hawks to come back with a better effort? Because I mean, the Raptors have been kind of blowing teams out at home ever since then, and like kind of a couple games before that, they they blew out the Sixers, then and the Grizzlies, and um, some of the Lakers, I think, and then you know the the Hawks were kind of just in that steamroller of that of that homestand that they had. And they've been blowing teams out ever since, really, aside from the Cavs. Um, are you expecting a better effort from the Hawks? Are you expecting, you know, maybe a more co- competitive game on, on, on Friday night? 
Yeah, I mean, it almost can't be worse, obviously. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. We kind of just said that. And, you know, Paul Millsap's back for the Hawks, which, uh, you know, while he's not going to make up a 40-point spread or whatever the final score was in that game, yeah. uh, it should be at least a little bit more competitive. I think the Hawks were playing, you know, slightly better than they were then. I will still say, you know, Atlanta's not playing great. They just allowed 131 points to the Orlando Magic yeah. earlier this week. And uh, considering that Toronto, as you well know, is the best op- offense in the league this year, and Orlando enter- entered that game as a number 29 offense, uh, not entirely, uh, you know, encouraging for the Hawks, but I do, I, I do expect them to kind of be up for this game, given how bad things went the last time around. I, I think Toronto is uh, the better team, and you know, the better team playing at home is usually going to be a comfortable favorite, and they are in this game. But I think the Hawks will at least show up, uh, whereas the last time around, uh, I can't, I can't say that they actually did that with the way that they looked. So hopefully, it'll be a more competitive game. I'm not, my expectations are fairly low, I have to be honest, uh, because uh, of how things went there and how well Toronto was playing. But I think it'll be at least competitive for a little while yeah i mean obviously the Millsap thing is huge he missed that game of course and you know he's their best player and you know you kind of expect them to uh you know lose at least lose to the raptors on a night where they don't have Millsap. you know i don't know if anyone expected that blowout but um i guess you know you mentioned that they're playing a little bit better now than they were a couple weeks ago when they were sort of in the midst of their their serious slide after their their great was it nine and two start um, like what changed between that hot start and now? Like what, what was it just a simple matter of Millsap being injured or is there, were there other factors at play? It's really weird. You know, early on, the 9-2 start was a lot of – a lot of it was honestly by the bench, and people have kind of went under the radar. You know, the Hawks had the Dwight Howard edition, and people uh, like to focus on that and the early going. But uh, the first 10-11 games when they were playing really well, it was the bench that was just lighting the world on fire. And this Hawks team, while I actually kind of like the bench a little bit, um, is not going to be as good as that was early on. And uh, really, it was it was defense in the bench early on. And now the defense has really slowed down recently. Since that 9-2 start that you mentioned, uh, the Hawks were like something in the bottom 10 defensively in the league after being number one in the league at that point in time. Right. And and offensively, uh, this team was never going to be good. I kind of said that before the season started, this was going to be a team that was going to be defense first uh, and maybe be, you know, average at best on the offensive end. And that's, that's turned out to be the case. They've been, you know, bottom 10 all season on the offensive end of the court. And that's kind of what the personnel dictates in my opinion. And it's not uh, the greatest or more, most explosive team last year. They were basically just league average offensively and they got worse uh, and going from Al Horford and Jeff Teague to Dwight Howard and more than a shooter. And while, you know, Howard's been actually, actually been pretty good. In my opinion, he's been better than I thought he'd be. But offensively, he's not this dynamic force. He's really more of a shot blocker, rebounder type now, uh, more of a role player than he used to be. Still, you know, better than that. I mean, it's kind of an unkind term in some ways to say somebody's a role player. And he is better than that. But he's not a guy who you're going to run your offense through either. So I think the Hawks, you know, it's it's a combination of a couple of things. The defense has really kind of let them down recently, but the offense was never going to be good. And it's sort of a regression to the mean thing more than anything else, I think. Yeah, I guess the offensive drop-off this season doesn't surprise me as much as sort of the one did last year. Um, you know, obviously, yeah, losing Al Horford is going to hurt. Trading Jeff Teague and, you know, rolling with Dennis Schroeder, who's kind of an unproven commodity, it's probably going to hurt. And, uh, you know, so I, I'm not I, I'm not surprised like you aren't that, the, that the, the Hawks don't have a great offense this season. But I guess my bigger sort of big, big picture question is sort of, you know, we're only two years removed from that 60-win team that was such an explosive offense that – was just sort of the the peak egalitarian team, and I guess my my question to you is, you know, if someone were to, were to watch a game from that 60 win season, 
and then watch one from this season? Like, what kind of differences would you see? What kind of things has Mike Budenholzer had to do to sort of alter his system now that he has, you know, Schroeder and, and Howard as sort of being two, two of the team's focal points as opposed to sort of that, that five-out lineup they could roll with with Damari Carroll as well that was just so, so dominant? Yeah, you mentioned it. It's not It's not just those two guys. Those are the two biggest changes, obviously, uh, at point guard and center because Teague and Horford were around for so long, especially in the case of Horford, who was it was almost a decade of him being, if not the best player, one of the best players on the team. But a lot's changed on the offensive end of the court. Uh, that was a team that was sort of predicated on ball movement and uh, this beautiful offense and the system play offensively that kind of generated. They were, they were top five in the league offensively that year, and everything just kind of clicked. I do think, you know, this, that was never a team that probably should have won 60 games. They kind of got super duper hot in January and February. They won like 18, 19 games in a row. They were not that good, I don't think. But even still, I think that team was certainly a mid-50s level uh, team in terms of wins. And that's a very, very good basketball team. It's kind of like the one you're watching now yeah. in Toronto. And, you know, the Hawks, it was, it was predicated on that beautiful ball movement offense and really unselfish play. And not that these guys are selfish now. But they don't have the shooting they had then. They're, they can't play five out in the way that they that they could with that team. Uh, Howard does not, you know, allow that. Just his presence does not allow that. Dennis Schroeder, who I kind of like in the aggregate, um, is not the guy who's going to be predicated on moving the ball. He's more of a score first, you know, isolation pick and roll point guard, a more traditional guy in that sense. But I don't know. There's a lot of a lot of different issues. The guys, uh, some of the guys, you know, Paul Millsap is you know a couple years older now. Kyle Korver, especially, is a much different player than he was two years ago. Um, so it's really a lot of different things. But I think the biggest change of course is just how the offense looks because now it's just much more traditional easy to easier to defend and the fact that it's a lot of a lot of a lot of pick and roll a lot of post-ups things that are very you know in 2016 are pretty easy to defend and things are not uh, and you can see you can see it in the results that the Hawks just aren't as good on that end of the floor it's not surprising but it's also sort of the nature of the beast when you go out and make the moves that they made yeah for sure and you know they're, they're 12 and 13 now um and I have to ask this question because uh, Paul Millsap has been the, like sort of the dream sort of trade target for Raptors fans for like I don't know three seasons now because this is this is on my list to ask you so okay. let's get it out of the way let's get it out of yeah, the way yeah, now no. so, yeah we can we can go back and <laughs> forth on this so yeah like he has been his fit is almost too perfect because the Raptors have been missing a power forward for a long time uh, the kind of guy that would fit best next to Jonas Valanciunas is a guy who can sort of you know switch a couple p- positions defensively. You know, stretch the floor a little bit. Sort of just like a souped-up version of Patrick Patterson is what the Raptors have needed. And Paul Millsap is like four Patrick Pattersons, like <laughs> just combined together in a lab. Like he's so good, and he's just sort of been that guy that Raptors fans have wanted to sort of snag from the Hawks for the longest time. And you know, obviously, you know, it didn't happen that 60-win season because why would they trade away Paul Millsap that season? Uh, you know, I think the start of that year, people were kind of hopeful because he was in a contract year that believe that year, I believe too. Um, but now this year, he's in a contract year, and you know, the Raptors fans, you know, in the comments are definitely sort of circling the waters. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't see a trade happening just because I think it's hard to sort of find a package that the Hawks would sort of want. You know, I've heard other people talk about the Hawks as a team that doesn't really want to rebuild uh, just because of sort of the the apathy of the fan base there at at times and how, you know, they're not really sure that, you know, a long-scale rebuild would be supported by the fans. Um, So, but I have to ask it, like, do you see the Hawks trading Paul Millsap this season? It's a weird spot. You know, you kind of laid it out there. It's a situation where I think the Hawks should probably at least look at it. Um, and I've been arguing that even before the season started, uh, knowing that Al Horford was going to walk away, which they obviously did not know. 
But uh, with that knowledge, I would have probably blown it up then um, and traded Paul. If not traded Paul, then at least dangled him out there. And they did that. You know, Millsap was kind of famously a little bit perturbed that they put him on the trade market this offseason. Um, and while he's a professional guy who's still playing very well and very hard, I think that probably is going to be in the back of his mind um, come this offseason when he's a free agent. So I would look at dealing him if I was the Hawks. The problem is, like you said, you know, there's uh, the whispers that I hear around the team are that they don't want to rebuild. It's not a situation where they absolutely refuse to do so. Mm-hmm. I think I think. I think it's at least possible. But when Mike Budenholzer is the head coach and also the final uh, personnel, uh, the, you know, the big the big personnel head, it's really tough to rebuild when your uh, personnel guy is also your head coach because right. guys like that don't want to rebuild. It's just kind of, you know, he realized that he had to coach that team for a year or two, uh, being a bad basketball team. And that's not the only reason why. You know, they also have Dwight Howard under contract for two more years after this. They have Kent Bazemore, who they just signed to a big four-year deal that's not looking so great right now. There are some impediments to them rebuilding. But even if they don't rebuild, I would still look at – Training Millsap, if it was me, because of the fact that look, he'll be 32, uh, you know, potentially signing a massive, you know, four or five year contract in the offseason. Um, and he, you know, by the end of that deal, I think it's pretty safe to assume that he's not gonna be worth that money. That's kind of the nature of the beast when you're signing a guy at, at his age to a max contract. So um, it's at least worth exploring, you know, Toronto's name, uh, Toronto's a team that I always get asked about in terms of Millsap because of the, all the reasons that you said it's such an easy, obvious, you know, fit. They're really the one, uh, you know, can like, actually actual contender that has, you know, a, the willingness and B maybe the pieces to get it done and, and the obvious hole at power forward. Um, so we're going to hear that all season. I feel like both of us are going to hear that through all, all the way through February, whether it happens or not. But if I'm the Hawks, I'd at least look at it. Uh, you know, I, I, people ask me what, what the package would look like from Toronto. And, and that's kind of something that I have a hard time picking up. It's, it sounds like you, you feel the same way as I do is that there's not that obvious package out there for Toronto, but you know, they'd obviously be interested. They should be. And if I'm the Hawks, I'm at least looking at it, even if I'm not sure that they'll actually do it. Yeah. As far as like a package, like, I don't know, there, there's lots of names that have been thrown around. Uh, and it's, you got, you got to match contracts too, right? That's just always sort of a factor here for a team like the Raptors who are up against the cap. I'm not exactly sure what the Hawks cap situation is, but uh, the Raptors, you know, they, they got a match to, to get anything done. And, you know, that's Terrence, so, so are the Hawks. Yeah, the Hawks yeah. are over. So, yeah, it's the same situation. Terrence Ross is the first guy that usually comes to mind. And the fact that he's playing this well this season um, and just sort of being that explosive spark plug off the bench, like that's sort of been, uh, you know, I think a lot of people are sort of hoping that the Raptors are just raising Terrence Ross to be trade bait at some point this season um, and put with Paul Millsap sort of in mind. Um, and you know, there's like running jokes with some of the bloggers up here, like, oh, future Hawk Terrence Ross. And <laughs> that's sort of been what's floated around <laughs> and like that, that he's the easiest guy to trade because of the, because of the contract that he made. Sure. He just got the, his new extension just kicked in this season. Um, but then it's also like, you know, if the, if the Hawks are rebuilding, the Raptors draft picks aren't all that attractive. They have two first round picks this season. Yeah. But they're both going to be one of them from the Clippers. One of them is their own. So they're both going to be sort of bottom five of the first round. And I'm not really sure, you know, especially after the Hawks just drafted two guys sort of mid to late first round last season with Torian Prince and DeAndre Bembry, who I want to ask you about a little bit. Um, You know, especially after drafting those two guys and not really having any sort of high picks on the roster, you know, adding two more of those low first round picks, I don't know if that's all that attractive to the Hawks. I mean, it's easy to sort of throw together, you know, deals from the Toronto's perspective from the Toronto perspective and say, Hey, this is great. You know, the Hawks would love this, but like, I don't know. You have to have sort of look at both sides. I think and I'm not sure why the Hawks would want to do something like that. 
Yeah, it's a weird spot because if they want to go full rebuild and like actually kind of blow it up, then you know those picks become more attractive, and even even a guy like Jakob Pertl might be might become more attractive. Yeah, um, being that he's a you know a recent top ten pick. Um, but if the Hawks want to trade Millsap to get value and you know still try to be competitive and be good, uh, you know quicker, um, then you're talking about Ross obviously to match salaries and uh, it, 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 there's things that they could probably do to put an offer together that would be attractive enough. Because look, Millsap's very very good, but guys that you're going to be trading in the middle of their walk year uh the value is going to go down you know unless you can, unless you can, can engage i've been trying to tell hawks fans this for a while now is that unless you can engage a couple teams in a bidding war for a guy like paul Millsap, mm-hmm. you're never going to feel that good about the return because of the fact that he doesn't have control after this season he'll be unrestricted free agent and you know maybe toronto gets desperate because they want to actually win a title this year and that's they're actually in a position where you can talk yourself into that yeah. but most most teams you know they're not going to pay huge for a guy who's going to be a free agent you know four months after they acquire him because that's kind of insane especially when when you're 32 years old, it's not a no-brainer that you're going to give Paul Millsap a max contract right away because of the fact that because of the age and all that stuff, he's not as he's not as attractive as trading for a guy like you know uh, Demarcus Cousins even, who's much younger. And I would and I would argue Millsap is on that same level or at least close as Cousins, but Cousins is younger. It'd be a, it'd be a, a safer contract in that sense, you know, not safer in the fact that his personality is insane. But just to, just as an uh, as an example, you're looking for a younger guy who's going to be a free agent. I think teams will be more likely to pay up bigger for guys who, uh, who who are more of a lock to resign if they can bring them in. And Millsap's really not that, considering all the other factors. So it's it's a definitely a weird spot, and I feel like it's you know it's mid December. We talk about this a ton until <laughs> mid February, and we're probably going to because I don't think the Hawks are going to suddenly be awesome and be playing themselves out of this trade discussion. But uh, I feel like you know that's, that's the one obvious move, and it's going to be out there. And if the Hawks want to do it, I think Toronto is going to oblige. Yeah, and that, here's the thing too: is last season this rumor was kind of swirling out there too, when it seemed like the Hawks might blow things up last year. And you know there were talk, there was talk. They of, talked like, about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there was talk of like Jonas Valanciunas going the other way potentially. And you know, I, I just don't think, it, considering the context this season with Millsap being in a walk year. I don't know if the Raptors are into sort of trading a guy off their roster, especially since Bismack Biombo isn't there as sort of insurance at the center spot. I'm not sure the Raptors would be sort of interested in parting with anything off of their sort of usable roster right now, aside from Ross, because they are so deep at the wing and Norm Powell looks very ready to sort of step into a full-time role. Uh, but like a guy like Valanciunas, I think is pretty off limits. You know, I, I don't see them trading, um, you know, a guy like Corey Joseph, for example, because he's been super valuable to what the Raptors do to, to Raptors do as well. Um, but at the same time, Millsap is sort of, you know, kind of in this sweet spot for the Raptors in terms of potential trade targets, because yeah, you talk about Boogie Cousins, but you know, a guy of his caliber with, you know, sort of the value you talked about teams like Denver and Boston are going to be able to trump what the Raptors can offer. Millsap is kind of that guy in that sweet spot where he's sort of on the second tier, just in terms of this season trade value, where, you know, maybe the Celtics or the, or the Nuggets, I mean, I don't know why the Nuggets would do it, but the Celtics, for example, might not be sort of inclined to put to put their chips in for a guy like Millsap because, you know, he's not quite that superstar they're looking for or he's not quite like that controllable asset they're looking for. Um, so the Raptors might be sort of, you know, kind of the only team that is out there after a Paul Millsap, you know, midway through the season, uh, unless that's there's what, an injury to another team, right? But Yeah, that's what I've been saying. Is That's kind of the I – mean, I understand why people keep asking me about Toronto because it's just so obvious. Yeah. Uh, it makes so much sense on, on a number of levels. And you mentioned Boston. I think I think Hawks fans would burn things to the ground if they traded Millsap out to put to pair with Al Horford again in Boston. That would be the nightmare scenario, I think, for Hawk fans. But, uh, you know, if, if something happened with Toronto, we'll, we'll get there and we'll uh, we'll have plenty of time to talk about it. But it's, de- 
definitely something that's going to be looming, I feel like. Unless Toronto makes another move uh, that kind of prohibits them from doing it or the Hawks already sell in a different way, uh, that, that move is going to be out there and we'll definitely hear more about it. For sure. I feel like I've been asking you all the questions. Do you have anything you want to throw my way? Yeah, let's find – I mean, I, a couple of things. I was going to ask you about Paul, of course, but, uh, you know, DeMar DeRozan, man, uh, you know, this, obviously he's been incredible so far this year, best year of yeah. his career, I would say. I, I, mean, I imagine you would echo that. Um, the Hawks have kind of struggled against guys like him. Uh, he's not super similar to guys like LeBron and Paul George because he's not quite as big as those guys are. But, you know, a, you know, A-list wings have been a huge problem for Atlanta on the defensive end of the court for a long time now. And this year has been no different. Uh, you know, DeRozan has been cooking this year. So is that a matchup that uh, you, you see for DeRozan and the Raptors uh, and, your, and your eyes kind of light up when you see the Hawks on the other end? Or is it a situation where uh, it's almost matchup neutral because of the way that he plays? Yeah, I mean – DeRozan used to be the kind of guy who uh, used to really struggle against sort of bigger physical wings who could defend him. Like a guy like Damari Carroll in the past, you know, like in former iterations of the Hawks, he was the kind of guy that DeRozan would definitely have trouble with, guys who were bigger, guys who could bully him around. But he kind of has sort of morphed into being sort of matchup proof uh, this season. Like there haven't been many teams that have been able to shut him down. What teams are doing with DeRozan this season uh, after his like ridiculous start where he scored 30 points in the first nine of 10 games? Um, you know, he, you know, teams are really throwing extra attention at him. They're trapping him in the pick and roll now. And, you know, he's doing something that he couldn't do before. And that's just finding the, the, the open guy. He's, he's finding the guy in the short roll. He's moving the ball along. He's, he's, you know, just having the offense not, you know, stall up when he gets doubled. And that's something that's just been a huge sort of improvement for him. It's subtle. It's tiny, uh, in the grand scheme of things, but it's sort of helped the Raptors, you know, forge this ridiculous offense they have that's now a point and a half better per 100 possessions than the Warriors. It's kind of unbelievable. Um, but the fact that DeRozan has been able to sort of, you know, avoid turnovers in those situations and, uh, you know, move the ball along. And all the Raptors right now are shooting ridiculous levels from three. Um, you know, Kyle Lowry, he's like 60-something percent over the last 13 games. He can't miss. He hit like a 30-footer last night while getting tackled. And it just kind of seemed like, all right, yeah, Kyle Lowry's going to hit that shot right now. Uh, you know, Patrick Patterson's <laughs> really hot. Damari Carroll's been really hot lately. Um, so, you know, with, when all the Raptors are hitting these threes, you know, defenses really have to sort of choose. Are they going to double DeRozan and sort of open up a four-on-three situation where, uh, you know, the Raptors are going to find an open shooter at some point? Or do they just sort of sell out or not sell out to stop DeRozan and just let DeRozan cook one-on-one? -on -one? And he's been doing that to great effect this season. Getting to the basket, he's getting to the line a ton. Um, yeah, he's kind of become matchup proof in that sense because he's not a guy that you can just sort of stifle with, with double teams anymore. And that's been a huge change for the Raptors offense. So yeah, I think, you know, like he has against most teams this season, I think DeRozan's probably going to have a good night against the Hawks. And, uh, if he doesn't, it means he's been passing it off. Like he's averaging a career high in assists this season. And I think that's exactly the reason why that like, he's just not been afraid to sort of, you know, defer when teams have been selling out to stop him. So uh, I think that it's going to definitely be an issue for the Hawks tomorrow. Yeah, and with the way that, you know, I, I expect Tabo Cephalos should get the first crack at, uh, at, at stopping DeRozan. We'll see how yeah. that goes. You know, at least Tabo's long enough to at least probably bother him just at least slightly. Um, he's the classic guy. Yeah, he is the classic guy that used to stop DeRozan in his tracks. And, yeah, probably not as much anymore, but he, that's a good way to start, I would say, for sure.
Yeah, it's their, it's their best option, to be sure. He's certainly the best wing on the Hawks roster, so we'll see how that matchup goes. I was also going to ask you about Damari. You mentioned Damari there. I think a lot of Hawks fans still have a soft spot for Carroll, even with him leaving a free agency. I think people understood why, and you know, you got the, you got the big contract everybody was happy for. I know personally I was happy for Damari. He's one of my personal favorite guys. How's he been this year, uh, year two? Obviously, year one was sort of a lost season with the injury stuff. But how's he looked recently? And uh, tell I guess tell the Hawks fans and uh, also your fans, that I'm sure I've listened to you talk about him already, but uh, tell Hawks fans how you uh, feel about Damari at this point and how he's playing. Yeah, I'd just like to thank Atlanta for uh, for fostering <laughs> Damari Carroll's growth because, man, he is uh, – when he's healthy, which has not been really the case, you know, for the most of his time in Toronto, he is so much fun. He's such – he's just a great glue guy, and he's just – he's so tenacious. Like, But, you know, there have been issues, of course. Like last season, he played like 27 games in the regular season, was never right in the playoffs. Um, you know, we had moments here and there, but really the first five or six games of the regular season were the only time where he was fully 100% because he developed plantar fasciitis, uh, sort of sat out some games there, but then played with it and then developed a knee thing because he was overcompensating for the plantar fasciitis and then played on the sore knee. And then after Jimmy Butler dropped 40 and a half on the Raptors with Carroll defending him, they were like, all right, you're getting surgery and uh, we'll see you later. That's kind of how that went. Um, but yeah, he's, uh, this season he's, you know, he's still not at a hundred percent. He even said that coming into preseason because I think he took most of the summer off to, re- to recover, uh, just from this sort of the playoff run and not being a hundred percent just yet. And, you know, you can definitely tell his, his lateral quickness isn't quite there. I think, you know, people who sort of remember him being a guy that you could throw on LeBron James and, you know, actually kind of have a chance of at least sort of, you know, bothering him a tiny bit. Not so much the case this season. He's been kind of uh, a shaky as a, as a perimeter defender, and the Raptors have really struggled with uh, opposing guards and wings getting to the basket as a result. Um, and they're still resting him on... Uh, they're going into back-to-backs. He's only playing one half. They're just kind of picking based on matchup which half he's going to play. But uh, there's been a lot of really good stuff, too. He's really sort of picked up the three-point shooting lately. Uh, I think he's right around his career averages. He's hitting transition threes and all the fun stuff that Demario Carroll does on offense and he's really unlocked a lot of things for the Raptors by going small and you know he's been really solid playing the four for the Raptors in spurts this season uh you know there's not a ton of sample size but a lot of these lineups the Raptors have gone to with a Damari Carroll Patrick Patterson front court have been you know really successful and it's kind of opened up minutes because the Raptors do have a glut of wings with you know DeMar DeRozan Damari Carroll Terrence Ross uh Norman Powell and even Corey Joseph who plays at the two a lot you know, being able to flip down to the four for a little bit has really sort of opened up chances for those wing guys to get in there, especially Norman Powell. And there's been some really successful lineups that have gone with, you know, you know, for example, Kyle Lowry, DeRozan, Powell, Carroll, and Patterson, which have been super fun, and they've been holding up well on the on the defensive end and the rebounding end of things. And Carroll's been a big part of that. He's sort of uh, just he unlocks a, a lot of versatility within the Raptors. He's really the biggest wing on the Raptors. So without him, there isn't really a guy that can flip down to the four to, to sort of go to those small ball units. And yeah, he's been critical on that end. And yeah, his defense still is leaving something to be desired. But I think the way the Raptors are managing him is, is really smart after they kind of botched it last season, just sort of having him play while he wasn't hundred percent this season, they're being cautious and they're resting him for half of back to backs. And you know, I think by the time the playoffs come around, he's going to be fresh. There aren't back-to-backs in the playoffs. I think he'll uh, he'll look a lot better, especially to, in terms of like a quickness, uh, in terms of his quickness come the playoffs. But yeah, Demari Carroll's a lot of fun, and I, I enjoy him, and I enjoy, enjoy his fashion sense as well. 
Oh, oh, yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I, I miss DeMar in the locker room almost as much as I miss him on the court. He's such a fun guy, yeah. uh, the clothes and all those things. DeMar is just an entertaining, uh, lovable gentleman. So I'm glad to see he's playing a little bit better. Uh, still, hopefully, he comes around, uh, you know, selfishly. I'm just always going to root for DeMar to play well. So hopefully, and that will benefit you guys uh, as much as humanly possible. He's always uh, he's always making fun of Blake Murphy uh, from Rappers Republic. Oh, he's yeah, always making fun Blake. of his, uh, his outfits, uh, his, sort of his, his fashion sense. It's great. <laughs> he, he used to get on Rob. Bobby Calland, uh, who's now CBS Sports, about similar things uh, in the Hawks locker room. So that's actually fantastic. I can see him just doing exactly that. Uh, I've thankfully avoided it, but it, it, I mean, my fashion sense isn't much up from Blake. So <laughs> yeah, I, I just stay, I just stay out of the way in that area. Just be as boring as possible, and hopefully, we'll make no one will make fun of me in the Hawks locker room. I've got a clothing line coming out now. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was talking about that as, uh, even before he left Atlanta about him putting stuff together like that. So I was glad I saw the story about that, I think, recently. And uh, I'm not surprised. He's a, he's a designer. He likes to get things out there and be sort of outlandish. He's one of the more underrated uh, dressing guys in the entire league. You know, you guys like Russell Westbrook get all the uh, attention because he's more of, a, obviously, just a better player. But uh, Demari's outlandish, too, man. He has a lot of fun. Last season, he, he when he was injured, he did, like, a, a media you know availability in the locker room before a game. Uh, you know, a couple weeks before he came back, and he was wearing like bird pajamas. <laughs> like, sure he like, was. They were like full on like dress pajamas with like birds all over them. It was uh, <laughs> an interesting look. But yeah, Damari's got a Damari's got some style. I believe that wholeheartedly. I, I want to ask you one more thing about this yeah. particular matchup. Um, you know, Jonas Valanciunas is sort of a, uh, I think, sort of a polarizing guy nationally. I th- I like him, um, but that matchup against against Dwight Howard in this game, uh, how do you feel about that matchup in general? Uh, two very, very different players, two very different strengths there, but uh, I think that could be uh, indicative. That's a spot where the Hawks probably need to win his individual matchup in order to have a chance in this game on the road. So what do you see happening at the big man position? Well, it's going to be tough because Valanciunas really, he excels against the sort of, you know, rim running, you know, shot blocking sort of, uh, not at all stretchy bigs. He, uh, you know, some of his best games of the season have come against guys like Hassan Whiteside and Andre Drummond, and Dwight Howard definitely fits into that mold. The guys he really struggles with defensively are the sort of uh, are the stretchier guys, right? You know, when the Cavs can roll out Channing Fry at the five, that's absolutely torched the Raptors, and Valanciunas becomes virtually unplayable because he just he he's not he's not you know sort of he doesn't have a high enough IQ to make really good decisions in the pick and roll. And, you know, the Raptors have been asking their bigs sort of to hedge a lot more this season. I think it's sort of been sort of a way to limit the the, the penetration, but Valanciunas just isn't quick enough to recover, and Lucas Nogueira ends up playing a lot more uh, against these sort of stretchier teams. He's been closing a lot of games lately um, just because of that reason, and I think it's just sort of a, a function of the Raptors having a schedule where they've played a lot of these teams that have sort of stretchier bigs. But the Hawks are a team that I think the, that Valanciunas will do pretty well against, especially with Howard now. You know, Al Horford gave... Valanciunas a ton of trouble last week against Boston and you know Lucas Noguera played most of that game Patrick Patterson played center for for much of the fourth quarter in that game Valanciunas didn't really see the floor uh, I think against the Hawks with a or with a rim, rim running center like like a Howard he kind of uh you know he can sort of assert his will on the offensive end because I don't know there aren't many guys in the NBA who are strong enough to sort of push Valanciunas off his position Howard might be one of those guys, but really the only guys I've seen be able to do it consistently are like Marcin Gortat and Yusuf Nurkic and other fellow Eastern Europeans. Um, you know, he's, he's really tough to move off his spot on offense. And then on defense, you know, Howard's not going to be bringing Valanciunas all the way away from the basket. He's, he can afford to hang back a little bit more, and that's where he's at least sort of passable on defense. He's not a, a fantastic rim protector by any means, but... 
you know, they played Milwaukee this week and John Henson started at center and that was the same idea. Like Henson doesn't stretch the floor and Valanciunas can hang back and he had a couple of nice contests at the rim early in that game when the Raptors had a solid first uh, first quarter on defense. And uh, so, yeah, I think that's definitely an area where uh, the Raptors can kind of get an advantage. The problem is Pascal Siakam next to Valanciunas has really sort of fallen off defensively over the last little while. He's, you know, he's good and energetic in one-on-one defense, but, you know, he's a rookie, a 27th overall pick, no, no less, and, you know, you can definitely see that his sort of, his greenness is coming through. He, he loses guys on, off the ball all the time, uh, you know, guys cutting behind him and sort of back cutting and, and just sort of, you know, he over-rotates, he over-helps, he doesn't really understand the nuance of sort of team defense at this point. So I think Paul Millsap could be in for... Uh, a big game against him if, if Siakam rolls out there for, for a lot of minutes. I mean, Dwayne Casey actually sort of limited him in the last game against uh, Philadelphia on Wednesday, and he sort of, he, he didn't even start him in the second half when, you know, normally he rolls out there with the starters. Patrick Patterson started the four, at the four in the second half. I'm not sure if we'll see a starting lineup change, and if that happens, you know, Patrick Patterson has been probably the Raptors' best defensive player this season, and that would really sort of uh, you know, go a long way to help slow down Paul Millsap, and I wouldn't be surprised to see Casey go to him early if Siakam struggles. He's been prone to do that this season. Um, so Patterson's the Raptors' best bet against Millsap 100%, and uh, so I think the, the Raptors' front court is is interesting. There are sort of flaws here and there. Lucas Noguera might not play. He missed Wednesday's game, so we'll see Oh, there. baby. I, I'm yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I hope he plays. Bebe's a lot of fun, and he's... Hawks, uh, Hawks legend, Bebe Nogueira. I, I would... <laughs> <laughs> Never forget that draft picture. Although he was drafted by the Celtics, wasn't he? Uh, yes, oh, it yes. was a draft yeah. night trade to Atlanta. He didn't. Okay. He was around for a year, and then that was that was the end of that. But you guys got John Solomon's in that trade, yeah. Uh, I, I believe it was John Solomon's contract. To be to be fair, I think he lasted like uh, three or four days, something like that. Uh, so he okay, was not long for Atlanta, but yes, yeah, still, uh, I do miss Bay Bay. I was actually gonna uh, bring that up if you didn't. So uh, I think I think Mike Muscala will be interesting in this game. Uh, you mentioned yeah. you know floor spacing, uh, bigs. You know Muscala's been you know basically the primary backup at, at both center and power forward, and he's more of a stretcher. Uh, he's actually shooting 46% from three this year, which is unsustainably high, but uh, he can <laughs> he can shoot, and maybe uh, he'll be able to take advantage of uh, Valanciunas in that matchup a little bit. So something to watch if you're a Hawks fan that wants to look at positives, maybe that's something that can uh, you know create some space for the Hawks on the uh, off the bench in a uh, couple of, of select matchups. Yeah, I feel like I sound like a, like a Raptors homer here because I kind of keep giving the Raptors advantages at different parts of the well, court. Well, no, like... I think you're right. Uh, basically, the only spot in which uh, Atlanta has a defined advantage is power forward, uh, and that's it's nice to have him again. You know, he was Millsap was not available the first time around. It'd be nice to have him around, but uh, I don't have too much excitement here. You know, Las Vegas has the Raptors as I think it was like a seven and a half or eight point favorite in this game as as of the time of this recording, which seems kind of low to me, honestly. But um, you know, the, the Raptors are supposed to win this game. It's the NBA, though. Stuff weird stuff happens, and uh, well, it'll definitely be a lot of fun either way uh, for one of us. I'm not sure it broke for both of us, but for one of us. <laughs> Yeah, man. Uh, I'm excited about this one. It'll be fun. Hopefully the Raptors have a... Hopefully both teams are fully healthy. Hopefully Bebe's back. Bebe's fun, and he gives the Raptors a different look uh, against a guy like Mike Muscala, as you mentioned. Uh, But Brad, man, I want to thank you for taking the time. We think we went a little longer than we were going to, but these are uh, two interesting teams that hopefully are interconnected in more ways than just playing each other on the court this season, if you know what I mean. Yeah, that's what happens. Uh, yeah, well, I, in your in your case, I'm sure you're hoping that they're inter- <laughs> interconnected. And uh, listen, there's at least a small chance this ends up to be like a like a two seven matchup in the playoffs. So if that happens, we'll have to do this again. 
Yeah, for sure. And we'll definitely catch up down the line when they play again in the regular season. Uh, Brad, thank you so much, man. Thank you, sir. Enjoyed it. Cheers. All right, thanks to Brad for chatting with me and, and helping to tee up the Raptors and Hawks game t- tonight. Uh, you can find Brad a whole bunch of places uh, on Twitter at BT Roland. Uh, he writes for Peachtree Hoops. He writes for Uprox. He writes for Talking Chop. He uh, hosts the Chop- Talking Chop podcast in addition to hosting Locked on Hawks. million places to find Brad. does great work, so make sure you check him out. Uh, and we'll definitely catch up with him again down the line, especially, like you mentioned, the potential of a 2-7 playoff series, maybe even a 1-8 playoff series. I don't know. Uh, we will uh, get into that, uh, and we'll hopefully chat with Brad later in the season. Uh, right now, though, let's pick that Raptors and Hawks game uh, against the spread. The Raptors are currently sitting at seven-point favorites. It opened at eight. It's down to seven. Uh, a lot of the action on the Raptors right now here on Covers.com. Uh, that, and as Brad mentioned, that's like a kind of pretty low spread considering what the Raptors have been doing to teams at home over the last little while here. Um, and I think I'm going to take the Raptors to cover. I keep taking the Raptors to cover, and eventually it's going to come to bite me. But the Raptors uh, need to prove to me that they're not going to blow at a team at home uh, <laughs> before I... Uh, pick against them because they have just been on an incredible run right now obviously have won 10 of their last 11 uh and i I really see them coming away with a big win against atlanta tonight even with paul Millsap back for the hawks as we talked about in the in the chat there with brad i I do think the raptors have a lot of advantages around the court this could be a game where Jonas valanciunas has a nice game um and i think uh kyle lowry's definitely got the advantage of the point guard spot you know there's just the raptors are talented and very good and uh they're going to beat a lot of teams, and I think they're going to beat Atlanta tonight uh, by a pretty significant margin. So I'm taking the Raptors to cover. I'm currently at 15-9-1. I think I've picked three correct in a row now, so we'll see if I can push that to 16-9-1. And, um, and uh, we'll be back again on Monday. Hopefully we get a full week of shows in next week. Hopefully I'm not sick anymore. Um, I do. I am happy that the today, Thursday show is the first one that I've missed since we started. So uh, I, hopefully I built up a little bit of clout enough to uh, make it okay that I missed the one day. I feel bad about it, but I will be back again for five shows again next week. Uh, so thank you for putting up with me for four this week. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Woodley Sean. The show is on Twitter at Lockdown Raptors, as always. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes. Leave a rating, leave a review. It really helps us out. helps move us up the rankings. helps people discover the show. Uh, so we'd really, really appreciate that. And uh, until Monday, where we'll get back to in the swing of things, thank you so much, and uh, have a great weekend. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa auto parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10-31-17.